Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. I wanted to, yeah, I absolutely do. I have a short message today. Heard that before, right? Uh, When I say that, I really do have a short message prepared, but sometimes it just becomes longer uh, in the preaching of it. Can you dig it? Uh, Amen. Yes. All the teachers said amen. All the preachers said amen. But since I have a short message prepared, I do want to take a few minutes to tell you uh, about something that's been brewing for several weeks, even months behind the scenes here. Uh, I know some of you know at least a little bit about it. We're not been, it's not like we've been trying to keep it a secret. We just wanted to wait uh, before we announced it until we had something closer to a plan. But here it is. We will be uh, revising and relaunching our small groups ministry here in a few months. The most significant change uh, that means for this church is that we will be uh, moving away from having a midweek service. I know some of you, a lot of you really miss the Wednesday night service. I miss the Wednesday night service. Uh, This is what my newsletter article is about, by the way, so when that comes, you'll get a few more details, but I didn't want to rely on that to get the word out because I never know exactly how how many of you take time to read that, that, that column faithfully. But anyway, most of you, maybe not most of you, but certainly many of you have heard my dad, Pastor Larry, tell the story of how in the early days of Living Word Family Church, we did have, there was a big emphasis on care groups and a good percentage of the church belonged to a care group. And he said that he, he has said many times that when God spoke to him about starting Wednesday night services, Uh, he said two things, that he was concerned of the effect that would have on the small groups ministry, but he also said he'd never heard God more clearly about anything in his life. And uh, of course we did. This this church prospered on Wednesday nights. We had a tremendous tremendous crowds and we developed the super church program and the youth group prospered and everything. It was a a, a wonderful, wonderful season. And we have what... uh, you know, when I, if I say, look, we're, we want to have a more robust small group ministry, that is not a slam on the current small groups. Those are great groups. What I mean is I want to see more people involved in them and committed to them, and I want them to meet more often. And so in order to make that happen, I'm trying to remove every possible obstacle, uh, including the schedule. It's like, well, boy, some of you are already committed to Saturday morning prayer, Monday night prayer, Wednesday night church, and we throw a small group on there as well. So we're, we're removing small groups. And there, there are some hurdles we have to clear, or some, uh, some details we need to work out, because this is going to have an effect certainly on children's ministry to a, lesser, uh, to a lesser extent on youth group. We need to figure out how to make those things work. Uh, but I also wanted to share with you, because uh, I don't know how many of you know this. It's not something he spoke a lot about. But for the last couple years before Dad stepped down as senior pastor, he felt very strongly that this was the direction to go. Okay, um, so, so when I tell you, if, if you think, well, Pastor Larry said he heard from God about Wednesday nights. Yes, he did. But that wasn't necessarily a once and for all thing. I'm not overturning something. This is something that really was on his heart. And I won't share with you every reason why uh, we did not decide to move forward at that point. Other than to say, as you know, he had a very, very full plate uh, during his last few years at the helm here. And 
there are a lot of details to work out in terms of figuring out what, what, what are these programs going to look like. And we've got some of this figured out. Who's going to lead it? When are we going to, lead, when are we going to meet? Where are we going to meet? Uh, and uh, the sizes of the groups, there's a ton of things to think about in addition to how do we balance that with children's ministry and everything else. Uh, so we've recognized these things, and uh, I don't know if you know it or not, in terms of my giftings and my strengths, organization is not super high on that list of things. So I have recruited Jake Knight. Jake, you, you saw him last week. He was up here being recognized by the Royal Rangers. He is going to be leading, this, he'll be the head of the small group's ministry. I recruited him for specifically for that purpose. Uh, you need to know he loves this church. He loves, uh, he loves serving. He's committed to me as pastor. I, I trust him 100% in this. He's not doing it independently, of course. Uh, I will have oversight of this, uh, and the elders as well. Uh, but he is very strong in this. He's already proven to me that I have heard from God uh, when I tagged him for that. And that is part of the reason that the last week took place. The Royal Rangers are saying goodbye to him because I have stolen him. Uh, for this ministry. Now, like I said, there's things to be worked out, there's problems to solve, but I am really convinced that this is the direction that the Lord is taking us. It was going, it's going to foster closer relationships. Uh, it'll give us the opportunity for more intimate times of prayer. It will serve as a vehicle for spiritual growth and numerical growth because small groups uh, really are the engine that are driving the train of church growth these days. It's easier sometimes, and uh, people might be more amenable to accepting your invitation to a small group than they might be on a, for a Sunday morning service. And this really is about relationships. Okay, so I want you to... Uh, I want you to be encouraged, and I want you, even though this is going to be, like I said, a few months, we've, we've got some things to get nailed down, might even be the first of the year, but I want you to be enthusiastic about this. I want you to be encouraged. I want you to encourage one another. I want you to pray for me, pray for Jake, pray for the small group's ministry as uh, we take this next important step in this chapter of our church life. Amen? Right on. Okay. Now, last week... I preached a message on gratitude, thankfulness. And I want to just take a little bit of time this morning to emphasize some things from that, a uh, couple of principles from that message, because it is absolutely central uh, to our walk of faith. And we began, in fact, with the truth that without faith, it is impossible to please him, to please God. So that means if we want to be pleasing to God at all times, we want to be in faith at all times, right? And one of the highest expressions of faith is our praise and worship. And included in our praise and worship is our thankfulness, our gratitude to God. Now, we've been trained. We don't always do it right, but I think by now we know that when there is a battle, we're supposed to respond in faith. If there's an attack of the enemy, we uh, are supposed to respond in faith. So when we get a diagnosis of some horrible disease, our response as faith people should not be, oh no, but oh yeah? We don't say that to the doctor. <laughs> the doctor's doing his job. We say that to our bodies. We say that to our enemy, right? Uh, when something in our, in, in, uh, and it's not just that, that's always the, the easiest illustration, but when anything in our sphere of influence is taking place that is contrary to the revealed will of God. God has told me this is how it should be for you. Is she telling you the same thing that you told me over lunch? Can I share that? 
about the understanding. If you'd rather I didn't, I wouldn't. About understanding what Pastor Scott says. <laughs> and which one was it that said that? Was it Alyssa? Uh, Addison. I guess uh, the nights were, uh, I don't know, driving to church, driving home from church, or having a discussion. And, and she asked, uh, 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 I, I, I hope I get this right, but it'll be more or less right. Do you understand everything that Pastor Scott says on Sunday mornings? Because I've been listening, and I don't understand any of it. Now, here's what's cool about this. Now, number one, I, I kind of took the wind out of my sails because I like to think my preaching is accessible uh, to practically everybody. But it got me thinking, maybe if we can do this in a COVID-safe way, have one of those, do this little chat with the children. Remember, everybody go to a church where you had that? That might be something we explore in the future. But here's what, what blessed me about that, is uh, they, uh, like many of you, will pray on the way to church to prepare their hearts and she, on her own, began to include in the prayer, when, when, when she was praying, uh, you know, sure, she, they, the family prays over, like we do, we pray over uh, praise and worship service, pray over children's ministry, pray, pray over the ushers, over everybody that's serving, pray over the message, uh, the offering, everything. And she says, and Lord, give us wisdom and help us to understand everything Pastor Scott says. So it's like you recognize a lack, you recognize a need in your life, pray about it. Isn't that awesome? Anyway, sorry, I just jumped into my mind. I had to share it with you. When, uh, so when something in our sphere of influence, what I mean is when you know what God has said, you know what, uh, you read in the word of God, he's forgiven all your sins. We generally don't have a problem with that. Uh, he heals all my diseases. This is all Psalm 103. He fills my mouth with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagle. There's, there's salvation, forgiveness, there's healing, there's prosperity, all in the first few verses of, of, of Psalm 103. And so when I begin to experience something, if I, if I wake up or sit down or stand up and I, when, I, when I rise up and walk, when I sit down to eat, whatever, and I experience guilt, and I experience condemnation, oh, I just don't even feel saved. I don't know if God can even love me. And maybe it's something you did 10 years ago, maybe it's something you said 10 minutes ago, but you can immediately attack that thought with what? The promise from the word of God. He forgives all of your sins, right? Right? So same thing. I experience sickness in my body. What do I say? He has healed all my diseases. I respond when I see something that is contrary to the revealed will of God. I respond in faith by speaking against that thing. And included in that is simply thanking God for what the truth is despite what I'm experiencing in the moment. If there is lack in my life, I attack that with faith because he will supply all my need according to his riches and glory. Okay? Now, uh, and you can speak these things, again, over your body, thanking him for healing while you still feel sick, thanking him for provision while the bills are piling up. Uh, we can, uh, if our children stray, we declare that the word that we've planted in them will never leave them. We water that with our prayers and thank God that he loves them even more than we do. If there is a tornado on the ground, what do we do with that? Well, I rejoice in the fact that God has promised that no harm shall come near my dwelling. Okay? Now, I need to stress something here. I said something in a message, this was back in the early days of the shutdown, and it got some people's noses out of joint, but I stand by it. I didn't get a lot of pushback, but the pushback I got was significant from some people, 
And whenever that happens, I kind of wonder, well, for every one person that says something, are there five or six that thought the same thing and, and didn't say it? So let me, let me just stress this again. Uh, when I'm talking about our spheres of influence, I'm talking about areas in life where God, through Scripture, has given me authority. Okay? A promise for something. For example, I can stand on God's promise of healing for me. I can stand on God's promise of healing for my wife because we're one flesh. I can stand on God's promise of healing for my children because they're members of a redeemed household. Okay? I can even exercise faith for healing for you when I lay hands on you because of two things. One, if you're allowing me to lay hands on you, you are expressing your faith in God's willingness to heal and his, healing, his revealed will concerning healing. And because he has promised, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So all of those things are attached to scriptural truths. What I cannot do, no matter how much my faith is developed, no matter how firmly I believe it, how fervently I desire it, and how perfect my life is, what I cannot do, because I have not been granted scriptural authority to do it, is by exercise of my faith, curse all disease out of existence. Do you understand? I can believe God for my provision, for abundant provision for me, for my household. I can put myself in agreement with you if you're exercising faith for provision. What I cannot do, no matter how great my faith is, is curse poverty out of existence. Jesus himself said what? The poor you will always have with you. Why? Because it's God's will? No, because not everybody is going to receive the promise that God desires to supply their need according to his riches and glory. I can cast demons out of somebody. If they manifest demonically in my presence, I believe that scripture has told me that we will cast out demons, that we've been given authority. But what I can't do is cast every demon into hell and command them to stop bothering humanity for all time. Right? Jesus Christ himself cast a multitude of demons out, a legion of demons out, but he didn't cast them into hell. He gave them permission to go into the swine. Again, I cannot by faith declare, and this is putting it in general terms now, I cannot by faith declare that I will never have another battle, that I will never face another attack. What I can say by faith is he always causes me to triumph. All right? Now, back to this idea that when problems arise, we know, whether we do it or not, we know that we should respond in faith. And we generally know how to respond in faith. And often, not always, but often we can identify something we did or failed to do that opened the door for a particular attack. Perhaps we weren't taking care of our bodies with proper rest and proper nutrition, so we're fighting sickness. Perhaps we made unwise financial decisions, so we're facing uh, lack. Those things don't negate the promises of God. I hope you know that. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And it doesn't say except for the ones where it's their fault. All right? 
My bad decisions don't negate the promises of God, but we must identify those things, acknowledge those things before God, and repent. But then speak the promise over all of it. This is the pattern we see beginning in earnest. We see hints of it earlier than this, but when we, when we get into the book of Judges, we see this pattern continuing through those times and through the times of the kings that we read about in the books of the kings and the chronicles. And anybody remember this, the, 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 this pattern that we're talking about through those, through those years? We, we had a little, uh, it was back, way back in youth group, we called it S.O.R.D. It was misspelled S.O.R.D., S-O-R-D. Sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance. Sin, oppression, repentance, deliverance. And Israel built up a pretty good history over the years and over the centuries of remembering how faithfully God came to the rescue when they repented and when they turned to him. Time and time again, Israel found itself in trouble, Israel and or Judah. They would cry out to God. God would deliver them. They would rejoice. And then once the danger would pass, would, would pass they would slip back into the sin. And the sin took them outside the blessings of God, which opened the door for the oppression to come in. The oppression caused them to panic and repent. And as they repented, God would deliver them again. And mostly what he did in terms of deliverance was to raise up a savior, small s savior, a deliverer, a judge for several hundred years. And then when the monarchy was instituted, it was a king. But Judges is where we really can read about this. It's, and Judges is one of those books, you know, I mentioned, I kind of tongue-in-cheek uh, last week or the week before, you know, there's, uh, if you ever get a hunger to read through Leviticus, uh, let me know just how exciting it remains for you if you read the whole thing through. And praise God if it does, but I'll tell you what, I've read through it several times as I read through the Bible. I don't want to skip it, but can, is anybody else as carnal as I am where you could say there comes a point where my eyes begin to glaze over. Uh, wow, here we go. You know, there's, there's, uh, and, and in Numbers too, when it's uh, when the genealogies and, and, uh, and certainly, but, but boy, the, the various and sundry laws, you know, here's how to offer this sacrifice. Here's what to do on this day. It's there and it's important and, and God has shown me things as I read them that surprise me. I'm like, oh wow, you know, this is the 10th time I've read about this particular offering and now I see something I didn't see before. It's all good. It's just not always the easiest reading, right? Judges is one of those books that's pretty easy reading because it's, it's exciting, it's, it's interesting. There's some colorful, colorful characters. Some of it's depressing. Some of it is, is horrible. But really, one of the whole points of the book of Judges is just to show you just how quickly sin took hold in mankind and how badly they needed a Savior. But let's look here. In Judges chapter 2, this is the longest passage we'll read today. Uh, but it's just 7 through 13. In Judges 2, beginning in verse 7. This is after the exodus, after the 40 years, and Joshua has led the people into the land of promise, and they are beginning to inhabit the land. You know, they didn't just move in there all at once, little by little. They, they moved to the places that God told them. They're driving out the enemies, and they're doing well under Joshua's leadership. But in chapter 2, verse 7, we read this. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, 
and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. This is important. The people who were serving the Lord up to this point were people who could still remember the walls falling down, right? And had seen other miracles and other manifestations. Joshua himself, of course, had seen the whole thing from the Exodus on. Now, verse 8, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died when he was 110 years old, and they buried him in the border of his inheritance at Timnath, Harris, in the mountains of Ephraim, on the, on the north side of Mount Gaash. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, the Lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. And this is the beginning of this sad pattern. When a strong leader who loved the Lord, was in charge, the people served the Lord. But some, there was a disconnect somewhere. When it says, after them arose a generation that had not known the Lord, I understand they didn't see the, with their eyes the things that Joshua saw. But were they not trained well? Were they not reminded by the previous generation? It really is. It shows you the importance of raising the next generation and always speaking of the things God has done. But somewhere there was a disconnect because when Joshua died and, though, and his contemporaries were all dead, the next generation just didn't have those roots, they didn't have those experiences, and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Why? Well, the short answer is the sin nature. And that's one of the lessons we read, that we see, that we pull out of this, is that our hearts are evil until they've been regenerated, until we receive a new heart. Uh, the thoughts and the intentions of our heart are only evil always. That's something that we inherit from our first father, Adam. But uh, I, what we see here, and I encourage you, again, Judges is a, is a fun book to read, an easy book to read, so spend some time today, spend some time this week reading around this passage. Uh, but I have to move on because I said this would be short. Let me cut to the chase right now because we see many, many times in Scripture people recognizing their danger and recognizing the role their sin plays in that danger. And then they turn to God, they repent, and they entreat his favor. They beg him for deliverance. And even, this is true, even if it is not something that their sin specifically brought about. I mentioned King Asa last week and this early, you know, 10 years into his reign, and he was a good king from the get-go, but 10 years into his reign, uh, a, an army of over a million uh, soldiers from Ethiopia came and moved against him, and he went out to meet them with an army about half that size, and he just turned to God. Now, there's no indication that Asa or the people uh, of Judah had done some sin that invited this attack. The enemy wants to kill you no matter what you're doing, okay? He wants to kill you more if you're, if you're, if you're doing well. So it's not a matter of, oh, what did I do to deserve this? We have an enemy, okay? You hear me? You have an enemy. 
And you are not safe from attack just because you are good. You're safe from attack because God loves you and he's given you promises, but we have to consciously and on purpose speak those promises in the face of an enemy's attack. So we see this with King Asa. We see it uh, even more famously, King Asa's son, Jehoshaphat, same thing, went out against a, an army that was attacking him. They put the praise and worship team out front. They didn't even have to fight that one. God fought it for them. Uh, but anyway, the, whether it was something that they did and had to repent of or whether they simply just recognized the attack of the enemy, in both cases, we see this again and again, they turned to God in faith. And we see earnest prayer and real faith, and we see the deliverance, and there is genuine praise and thanksgiving when God shows up. We see this in the scripture. But where they blew it, and where we often blow it, is when the danger is passed, deliverance has been accomplished, and it turns out that the humility in which we turn to God in the first place, and the praise that we offer him, in the wake of the deliverance, is episodic. We are thankful, and rightly so, for these episodes, for miraculous healings, manifestations of supernatural deliverance from trouble, danger, sickness, and lack. And we are pretty good about thanking him for showing up when we need him. We are perhaps not as good about recognizing that we always need him. And therefore, we are not properly thankful for the times between the battles. Don't just thank him for healing. Thank him for health. If you're fighting a health issue, a health battle, and you're fighting in faith, and you haven't yet experienced the fulfillment or the manifestation, thank him for breath. Thank him for life. And thank him for the word and the weapons he's given you to fight the battle. Don't wait for a battle to thank God for the victory. Don't wait for a battle to thank God for the victory. We should be rejoicing because what? Because he is with us. He is for us. He is with us always. He is not just with us. He's not the God who says, don't worry, I'll always be up here if you need me, call. He's not just present when we have an urgent sense of our need for him. When we read about the heroes of faith, look at this, when we read about the heroes of faith, Hebrews chapter 11, which is a chapter we kind of raced, we kind of skipped over almost because we were looking at a, a different message in Hebrews, but you go back and read the Hall of Faith and all these, these uh, examples of faith. And what we see are uh, a series of faith battles. Uh, these were missions that I think of, of, of a guy like Noah, you know. I mean, he's doing something, walking out in obedience for a long time, building this ark in the face of ridicule and everything else. But he did it in faith. Abraham. And Sarah believed for a long time the promise that they would have a child. Moses, the things that he did by faith and the leadership he exercised by faith. They had to believe and trust God for some very big and very specific things. But look at this guy. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, it says this. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death 
and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Where's the faith battle? Where's the adventure? Where's the great thing that he accomplished? Where's the great promise he believed? We can read, let's go back and see it. Maybe we'll find it in Genesis. Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. And this is where it's listing the early generations from Adam forward and how long they lived, how old they were when they, uh, when they uh, had their, their first son and then, uh, and then how old they were when they died. And it says, Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with the Lord 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. And this is commonly understood, and it's reinforced by Hebrews chapter 11, that what this means is he didn't die. And this was, if you look at it, you know, 300 some years, that's a short life for the, for the lives they're listing here. They're all living seven, eight, over 900 years, and Enoch has 365, but it says he walked, he was on earth for 365, and, and, uh, 365 years, and then he, he was not. There never a was Enoch. He just, he walked with God. And it says that he didn't taste death in Hebrews. Well, what did he do? Again, why is he in the hall of faith? Why is he a hero of faith? Why is he listed specifically? Well, because, let's go back to Hebrews and look at this. Back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it, is imp- it says that he had this testimony that he pleased God. And then verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, you've heard this before, uh, probably. But it doesn't say he's a rewarder of those who seek rewards. He is a rewarder of those who seek him. And if, in fact, you are seeking him, that is the reward. If you're seeking gold and you find gold, gold is your reward. If you're seeking God and you find God, he is your reward. The beautiful thing is, with God... Everything else comes with, with him, right? I, I, I heard Patsy Caminetti talking about Enoch and, uh, and this, his testimony in Genesis. And uh, Enoch walking with God. He walked with God, he pleased God. And we just see this relationship. This is why he's there, not because he won some big battle. We don't have a lot of details about Enoch's life. There's a book by him out there somewhere but we don't, I don't believe we really have it. Uh, but it's referenced, his writings and his, his ministry is referenced by Peter and others and Paul. But uh, Enoch, she invited us to picture him going out daily and he'd walk with God. God would just meet him and speak to him. Whether he was visible to him or not, he had this intimate fellowship with God. And every day he'd wake up eager to get out and start his walk with God. And he'd walk, and uh, he got to be so enjoyable that he'd walk a little bit further every day, and the evening, the evening would come, and he'd turn around and walk home. And then one day, 300-some-odd years into his life, he's walking with God, and they're having this deep conversation, and they're just enjoying each other's presence. And God says to Enoch, you know, you're a long way from home. Why don't you just come home with me tonight? I think that's a beautiful picture. He just walked with God right into heaven. And this is, he's there as an example for us, not for fighting a battle, 
but yet he's an example of faith. Why? Because he pleased God by being pleased with the presence of God. This is what I'm saying, and I, I said this last week. We should be constantly, actively, consciously, always grateful. Again, when we seek rewards, if we seek God, God is our reward. But there, let's, let's, let's don't kid ourselves. That doesn't mean we don't seek healing. It doesn't mean we don't seek provision. It's recognizing that in Christ, in God, with him, with him for us, with him in us, with him with us, there, we have all those things. Is he with you? Are we in him? Now, from a spiritual standpoint, from a scriptural truth standpoint, is there sickness in the presence of God? Anybody think for one second we're going to be sick in heaven? Is there sin in the presence of God? Is there lack in the presence of God? You see, he's promised these things. He doesn't tell us to ignore them. You know, people say, oh, if you think at all about money, if you think about your personal well-being, then you're just, that's not pleasing to God. Yes, it is. He puts these promises in there for a reason. He knows what, he made us. He knows what our needs are. We don't pretend that we, have, we don't have need of these things. What the key is to recognize that in him, if our focus is to truly be with him and pleasing to him, that all of these needs get met in the process. We get to know him. It's not a matter of, I've got to say the verse this many times and I've got to say it with just the right emphasis on just this word. It's I know the God that I'm speaking to. I know the God that I'm agreeing with. And I get excited. That's the God who loves me. Of course he paid the price to heal me. Of course he meets all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Of course he gives his angels charge over me and they'll bear me up lest I dash my foot against a stone. I'm protected. I'm provided for. I am healed because I'm with God. But I'm not with God just for protection, healing, and provision. I'm with him because he loves me. I love him. I'm with him because he's good. Psalm 34, verse 1, says this. Psalm 34 is a good one to read all the way through on a regular basis. Read it out loud. Verse 1 says this. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Bless you. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. But you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If the praise that's in my mouth is genuine, it needs to be coming out of what? A heart of praise. A heart of thanksgiving. So what do we need to do? What I'm encouraging you to do, what I'm urging you to do, is meditate, think, talk to one another, encourage each other to remember how good God is and to be thankful people, especially at this moment. There is so much bad stuff going on and so many bad solutions being offered to these problems that it is way, way, way too easy even for people of God to get off track and start complaining focusing on the negative, and then it turns into worry, and then it, we get all of our attention on the wrong things. Listen, we have an election coming up, and 
you might feel very, very strongly that the candidate you support is the only proper candidate to vote for. And you should have strong convictions, and you should vote. But in the middle of all this, we keep remembering that if my people will humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, I will hear from heaven and heal their land, right? We, this is who we're trusting in, God, right? Can God heal the United States of America? How many of you believe that God desires to heal the United States of America? How many of you believe he can do that regardless of who's in the White House? All right? Yes, vote. Yes, have convictions. Yes, defend your candidate. But don't think if the wrong guy gets in, that promise can't come true. We continue to seek God. And in the time leading up to that, and the time after the election, no matter what the result is, we thank God because no matter who is sitting in the White House, Jesus is sitting on the throne. We still have a promise. He still has a people and a presence in this nation and in this world. And we are those people. And we will continually thank God. We will continually bless the Lord. His praise will continually be in our mouths, right? He is always good, no matter how bad the world gets, no matter how bad the situations, the politics, whatever. God is still good. He desires us to be with him. And he promises to be with us. Stand up with me. We need that assurance I guess on one hand, we've never needed it more or less, but I think because of what's going on in the world today, there is certainly a stronger sense of how much we need that assurance. I think, uh, I think the Christian West and certainly American Christianity, the church in America, is getting a taste of what persecuted nations, just a taste of what persecuted nations have dealt with for uh, hundreds of years. We're a privileged people in a good way. That privilege has almost become a bad word, hasn't it? We do have privileges as believers. And we should rejoice in those privileges. And those of you, and I trust this is most of you, who sleep well at night and rise joyful in the morning because of how well you know your Savior. Don't hold back on sharing that with everybody else. This world needs the hope that we have. So we've got to demonstrate it. Why would they be drawn to what we have to offer in Jesus Christ if all we're sharing is how much we're passionate about a particular presidential candidate or Supreme Court nominee? These are not, this is not where our hope lies. Nothing wrong with talking about those things, but there ought to be something different about how we talk about those things, right? When we talk about COVID, no matter where you stand on that issue, what, at the bedrock of what you believe needs to be in the healing power of Jesus Christ. Boy, awful lot going on for you not to be worried. Are you not paying attention? Yeah, I pay some attention. I just refuse to worry because God is so much bigger than all of this. And we ain't going to be here that long, no matter what. Things are looking day by day more like Jesus could be back at any moment for us, right? Hurry up, I say. Bring it on. Meanwhile, I love, I love, I say I love life. You know what I mean? I don't get to, he who loves his life will lose it. You know what I mean? I enjoy life. I thank God for, for, I thank God for the beautiful day today. I thank God for the privilege of being here with you. And let's don't neglect that. 
it's so good to see you here. And every Sunday, I am so thankful to God that we are together. Let's don't complain that right now we can't touch and kiss and hug and everything else. Let's just rejoice that we're here. Amen? I thank God. I thank God for you. Thank God for one another. Thank God for me. Thank God for the building. Thank God for the day. Thank God for breath. Thank God for food. Thank God for every good thing. Be thankful, thankful, thankful people. Let your heart be full of thanks. And then you don't have to work too hard for his praise to be continually in your mouth. But since he is so good, I'm urging you, I am begging you today, those of you who have not trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation, I don't know how you get to sleep at night. And it ain't about getting to sleep at night. And it ain't, it ain't about waking up energetic in the morning. But with everything going on in the world today, I can't even imagine what life would be like, what my sanity would be like if not for Jesus Christ. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. This is where the apologetic kicks in. Well, you can't just believe in God because you'd go crazy if you didn't. No, I understand that. I'm saying I don't know what it would be like if I didn't believe in God. I believe in God because I believe he has made himself known to me. I can give you a, a half dozen good reasons. I can give you probably a dozen reasons, and there are hundreds of reasons others could offer because of their areas of expertise, why I think it is reasonable and right to believe in God. But at the end of the day, sorry, this is turning into a longer altar call than I, than I planned, but I had a guy challenge me from camp years ago. He wasn't a believer at camp, and he told me he wasn't. Or, or it was a borderline one, and we got to talk. And like three years after that, he, he emails me out of the blue and says, I think I'm a full-blown atheist now. Can you tell me why you believe in God? And uh, so I told him, I said, we can go any number of directions with this, but I'm just going to answer your question in the most direct and straightforward way I know how. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus because I know him. I've met him. If I happen to be stranded on an island somewhere with somebody I've never met and I'm telling them about my life and I mentioned, uh, I've got a beautiful wife at home. I hope to see her again someday. Her name's Beth. And he says, how do you know? Well, I can't prove it to him, but I know that I know. How do you know there's a beautiful woman named Beth back in this land you came from? Because I know her. I've met her. I married her. That really needs to be somewhere near the core of our apologetic. How do you know that God is real? How do you know Jesus lives? Because he lives in me. And if we don't know that, then all the logic in our answers isn't going to move somebody. But I'm telling you people, there are, there are plenty of reasons to believe that God is true and right now more than ever, every day more than ever, I am thankful that it is true, that he really is, and that he really is for me and really is with me and re it really is in me. He desires to have that relationship with you. I'm pleading with you, if you have never personally committed your life to Christ, do it today. What do I mean by that? I mean, as I mentioned how they, the Israelites they turned so quickly away from God after their strong leaders died. It's because we all were born with a sin nature. And it is that that is the barrier between us and God. It is not the bad language you used yesterday. It is not uh, uh, something hateful that you said or even felt. It is the very nature of sin that separates us from God. 
And the only solution for that is to be cleansed from that sin. And we cannot do that with our own good works. That's why Jesus went to the cross and it wasn't as smooth and pretty as that one. He bore our sin in his own body and paid the death penalty for it so that when he rose from the dead, what he could offer us is new life. Not a way to work ourselves back to God, but right relationship because of his completed work. And so if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God did indeed raise him from the dead, we will be saved. Do you want to make that confession of faith today? Will you confess him as your Lord? Do you desire him as your Savior? Does anybody want to make that decision today? Scott, today's my day. I am for Christ, and I know that he is for me. I'm in. Anybody need to make that decision today? Okay. That offer, it remains open. I don't always appreciate getting super early in the morning phone calls or super late at night phone calls. If you just saw something funny on the internet and you want to share it with me, wait until a reasonable hour. If you just want to chit-chat, wait until a reasonable hour. If you want to get saved, you call me any time, day or night. Okay? Nothing is more important than that. But I would love to see you do it now. Do not be shy because of the crowd. Most people in here have confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord, and most of them did it in a setting like this. Nothing will happen except that we will rejoice with you. In fact, if you desire to pray this prayer, I'm not even going to have you come up here. I'm going to have you pray it from your seat, and we are all going to pray it with you. So one more time, anybody desire to pray that prayer of faith for salvation this morning? Okay. All right. Praise the Lord. Uh, you can be seated. I'm going to do something just briefly different today. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to pray over the offering. Thank you again. Uh, and I believe I can say scripturally, uh, not only is your pastor pleased, the Lord is pleased with your faithfulness and your obedience regarding the tithes and the offerings. God has been very, very good to living word. And I trust, I know he's been very, very good to you. And it is, a, it is certainly an act of faith always to obey him in the tithe more so in these uncertain economic times. So it's pleasing to God that we don't let the circumstances dictate our obedience in this regard, right? Uh, there are still ministries that are, that are blessed. And they're trusting in God, but God is using us to uh, propel them forward and prosper them. And we are, that souls are being brought into the kingdom daily. Lives are being saved. Bodies are being healed. Victories are being won, uh, and we have a part in all of that because of what we do at this moment as this part of our worship, which is the giving of our tithes, giving of our offerings. So if you're uh, making out a check, if you need an envelope, if you didn't grab one on the way in, wave your hand, and usher can get you one if, it, if, if it's cash. And if you're writing a check, you can simply make it out to Living Word Family Church or LWFC. And hold on to those, and you will, again, as usual, deposit those in the receptacles. This is actually Mission Sunday too, isn't it? Uh, if, you wanna, if you have a separate uh, offering, there, there should be two separate buckets out there, two separate receptacles, one for mission, our mission fund that we take up a special offering for. This isn't for a particular ministry this time around. It just goes into the general mission fund. And it is that that allows us to, uh, for instance, when we have somebody like Neil and Danette Childs, who we don't support monthly, but when they come in, usually once a year, 
we're able to give them a little extra out of that fund and be a, a super big blessing to them, among other things. So I'm going to pray over this offering, and then don't leave. Ushers will, as always, dismiss you from the back, but we are not just going to have a going out song. We're going to sing one more song together as an expression of our love, our gratitude, and our thanksgiving for our great God. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your goodness in our lives. Forgive us for ever losing sight of just how good you are to us. Forgive us for not being properly thankful. You have given us uh, so much to be thankful for that it really is a privilege just to be able to stand here and sing your praises, to call you our God, to call you our Father. Father, may our hearts be full of thanksgiving this week and may it spill out of our mouths not as a practice of discipline, but just because uh, our thankfulness and praise itself becomes like a fire in our bones. Thank you now, as always, for the privilege, privilege of giving into the work of the kingdom. We thank you for Living Word Family Church. Thank you, and we declare by faith that Living Word continues to be a blessing to this community, and that because of the faithful connections that are and relationships in this church, we are a blessing across the state, across the country, and indeed around the world. Thank you for using this church for the furtherment and the establishment of your kingdom. We thank you for the promises you've given us, that you've given us a command that we would be privileged to uh, obey regardless, but you've attached promises to those commands, Lord. And we believe that as we give, it will be given back to us, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. According to your word, it will be given to us through the hands of men, Father, so we can give again more and more generously. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for this act of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you give. Let's go ahead and sing. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.